Hi, I'm Nikki. I'm a 90s hip hop obsessed, exclamation point loving mother to two boys. I'm a wife and a passionate digital designer. I spend my days doing what I love, which is helping women make money with WordPress, whether that's by designing and developing custom websites or helping teach women how to build their own thriving development studio. I'm here to share with you everything I know, all of the mistakes I've made so that you can take the shortcut to achieving your own version of success. To download my free guide to building your dream life, marketing your services, and booking dreamy high-paying clients as a designer, head to womenwealthwordpress.com forward slash freebie. You are listening to Women Wealth WordPress. All right. So shall we get into it? Let's do let's it. Do this let's thing. do it. All right. So let's start with, okay, for all the creatives out here who don't really get the numbers, I guess this is funny because this podcast is for web devs, but I feel like it's going to be applicable to like my clients as well. So it's one I'm going to really be like, guys, everyone listen to this. It's not just for web dev. But specifically for the creatives who have this like creative side brain where the numbers make us shut off and go, no, don't want to get into it. Can you give us an overview of what is profit? Like just give us the rundown. Yeah, for sure. So your profit is basically your sales minus your expenses. Mm-hmm. And it's as simple as that. It's like yeah. what you bring I love in, that. take out <laughs> what you've spent and then whatever's yeah. left over is your profit. Yeah. Okay. And it is funny. I think like in my industry, SEO is like the mystical thing. For me, I guess profit is a little bit of a, or anything to do with numbers, my brain really does shut off. So we have that profit, we have that bottom line. If you outsource and you have your accountant or your bookkeeper kind of doing all of that backend stuff for you because numbers are not your strength, what else do we need to be aware of to ensure like service providers are ticking the boxes and what should we still be across and looking at and making sure we have a handle on to really optimize our business and increase that profit. So one of the things that I would say, it's probably the biggest mistake that I see creatives make is that they go, oh, my accountant's got that. Yeah. And that they me. basically <laughs> give away their power to their bookkeeper or their accountant and say, I don't need to know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, I have an accountant and a bookkeeper, mm-hmm. but you still have to know what's going on. Yeah. And what I've seen happen, unfortunately, far too many times is that people have outsourced that thinking that it's all being taken care of and then either a mistake is made or they aren't advised about things like their tax obligations, their super and things like that, get Mm -hmm. to the end of the year and they're like, what the heck? Like, I didn't know that I owed so much money. And they haven't put it aside or, yeah. Yeah. And then they end up in this feeling really overwhelmed, feeling really scared. Mm. And this is why I'm such a big believer in everyone having to understand the basics of business finance. I, as you can hear, the way that I explain things is really straightforward because Mm. I feel in the accounting industry, there's a lot of big words, a lot of confusing terminology. Mm. And I myself failed introduction to accounting. My first year uni, Mm. I was, I'd been a straight A student through school and I failed intro to accounting. And I was like, maybe I'm not good at accounting. Maybe I'm not good. (laughs) And I've now gone on and done two degrees with multiple distinctions and things like that. So obviously Mm. I'm not bad at accounting. It was just being explained in a really confusing, overwhelming kind of way. So the one thing that I would say all creatives is you have to learn the basics of business finance. Yes, you can still outsource it, but I really want you to be the person who's asking your accountant questions, saying, how much superannuation should I have put aside if you're in Mm. Australia or the UK? 401k if you're in the US. How much tax should I have put aside? 
Do I need to be registered for GST or sales tax? And the only way you know what questions to ask is when you have the basics down pat. Yeah. So that's the first thing that I would say. Everyone, you have to learn this skill. You yeah. absolutely have to learn it. Even um, if inside, you have no interest in it. Yeah. <laughs> even if you have no That's interest critical. in it. Because you will, if you're running a business, this is not an optional thing. It is everything. It is literally the basis of running a business. Otherwise, it's a hobby. So yeah. everyone has to learn this skill. I absolutely urge you. And it mm. doesn't need to be overwhelming. You don't need to know all the ins and outs of tax law or anything like that. Yeah. But just have the basics down pat. So that's the first thing that I would say. The next thing that I would say is that you need to be across your profit. That is, first and foremost, you have to run your reports and check how profitable your business is. I recommend doing money meetings and I sit down with my accountant at the end of every month and run through the month that was. Have a look at all of the ins, the outs, what's going on. Really get to know the business intimately. So that's something I would say for every single Mm. person listening. Please set up month-end reports. The next thing that you need to be across, which is something different, and a lot of people don't know this, is there's a difference between your profit and your cash flow. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between profit and cash flow. So basically your profit is the income and expenses, and then the cash is what is physically coming in and out of your bank account. So let me break down why this is important. And I'll use my husband's business because it's a really good business or anyone that runs project type mm, work. This will be which very is a lot of us. Yeah. So my husband has a very choppy business. He's he runs a recruitment firm. And the way that it works is that he gets big chunks of money in and he doesn't get the money straight away. So what happens is he might find someone a role and then that person has to give their notice and then that person has to go and start the job before the person pays the invoice. Yeah. And as a as someone who runs project work, this is probably <laughs> quite relevant. Yeah, relevant. Yeah. So what happens is someone might pay a deposit to come and get their website built. Yeah. They only pay a 50% upfront mm. deposit and you don't actually get the rest of the money. You're doing all this work and you don't actually yep. get the rest of the money weeks, maybe even months later. So this is what cash flow is when the money hits your bank account. You earn the income. The second that someone says, I'm going to work with you, signs a contract, pays the deposit, yeah. you recognize all of the income. That- yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. let me break it down a bit. So say someone's going to pay $10,000 for a website. If in May they say, I'm going to do it, you will straight away say, I've earned $10,000 because someone signed a contract, they've made a commitment to work with me. However, only $5,000 will come into your account. And you mm-hmm. won't get the other 5000 until August. So what can happen is that it looks like you've had a really profitable May because it looks like $10,000 has come yeah. in. You're yeah. like, I've run out of bloody money. I've had to pay <laughs> my coach. I've had to pay my team. I've had to pay my fees. I feel like I've got no cash. There's nothing left. Yeah. But when I run my report, it says to me that I've made a big profit. So this is the difference between those two. And this is why I teach everyone, you have to learn cash flow and you have mm. to learn profit because they're two two different things. And the cash flow is the thing that in a daily, like day to day can cause stress in your business if you're not managing that well and across that and across what's coming in versus what's going out. And I think another thing that probably a lot of people get confused is the profit versus paying yourself as well. For example, you know, how profit, especially as a sole trader or a freelancer, that revenue and profit piece is tied up together. How do you recommend that people manage that? And 
ensure that they're paying themselves and still taking a profit because the wages comes out before we hit that revenue, that profit number, don't we? So the way that I teach it is that I actually add your profit together with your wage. Yeah. So I call it an adjusted profit. Yeah. And basically I add together your profit and your wage. So basically what Nikki is saying is that at the end of the month, when you look, there might be some money left over, which is your Mm. profit after Mm -hmm. you've paid yourself a wage. I've had clients of mine who've got no money left over and they're completely freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, Mm. my business isn't making a profit. I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter because you're paying yourself $10,000. Yeah. Yeah. And so I add those two numbers together. It's okay to not be making a profit in your business. Uh, And to be honest, a lot of middle stage business owners aren't Mm. having a- And smaller businesses and freelancers. Yeah, aren't having a residual of profit. They're actually paying themselves that money as a wage. Mm. I actually- add those two numbers together yep. and say, add your wage, like add your profit. And again, if you're not quite sure how that comes together, just have a chat to your accountant about it. Say, mm. do I need to be making a profit? But my thoughts, my experience is that it doesn't, It that's why I like to add the two together because you might mm. be paying yourself a wage. Simplifies it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And one thing, so I went to a book launch in Brisbane and one thing I really liked was how you talked about how your marketing funnel can impact your bottom line because, and you said something that really resonated me and you were like, I have never met a business who was doing all of these stages well and they're not making a profit. So can you run through that a little bit? And this is one thing I think you do really well as well is I found you on Instagram, I get your emails and then you have that next stage of buying from you and then you have that next stage of nurturing and keeping in touch. I've really seen you implement this in your business and seen how much of an effect it can have. And I've followed you for a few years and seen you like buy your dream house on the water and all of these really cool things. So it's so exciting to see it in principle. Can you just explain what that is? I feel like a lot of people will have an overview of what a marketing funnel is, but can you just break it down and talk about how you've implemented that in your business? Yeah. And it's funny because as you were saying that, I feel like a bit of an imposter because I know that my (laughs) funnel still needs some work. Like anything, it's never completely finished. There's always more Mm. to do. There's always tweaks and changes to be made. So you're never going to get it perfect, but there's always ways to improve. Exactly. The way that the funnel works is you've got the top of the funnel, which is where people find you for the first time. So how are you actively having different ways that people find your business? And what I find a lot, and this is probably where my funnel needs some love, is that (laughs) We might have one or two key areas that we focus on. Instagram is my prime Mm. marketing platform, but I don't really have any other platforms that I'm doing really strong in terms of social media. So that's the top of your funnel is how new people find you. And it's a bit of a misconception that people find you through your podcast because usually someone's had to say, go and check out Claire's podcast or you've heard about the podcast or you heard me on someone else's. So the podcast is not actually at the top of the funnel. The Mm. podcast is in that next stage, which is building trust and connection. The nurture, it's yeah. pretty random that someone will stumble across a podcast. Yeah. So the top of the funnel is how people completely new to your brand find you. So you might have referrals, you might have yep. social media platforms. Then the middle of the funnel is how you build that relationship. And this is what I think that I do well because I've got mm. my, my podcast and my email list and I shop regularly on my Instagram and do lives. So once people have found you, how do you build that, that know and trust factor with mm. the right people? And the reason it's a funnel is because people drop off. Like someone might be like, oh, she's not my cup of tea. And you're like, that's cool. You were never going to buy from me anyway. So yeah. then they come down the funnel, it's a bit smaller. Then the next stage is where people express interest. They're like, hey, I love everything you're doing. How can I work with you? That They might reach out and, and inquire and say, can you do a quote for a new website? For me, people say, how can I work with you? What does that look like? 
That's mm. the interest stage. And yeah. then the conversion is that actual, the sales conversation when someone actually hands over mm. their money. So that's a bit what the sales funnel looks like. And I've never worked with someone, like I said, and been like, mm. you do everything absolutely perfectly. Yeah. I don't know why you're not making money. And I know for myself, like my big opportunity is to get more eyeballs on my brand yeah. because the people who do come in, I have a really high retention rate, people who buy yeah. from me again and again. I have a small audience, but a very engaged audience. Mm. And you can probably look at your own business and start to think, where's the area where I fall down? Maybe you've got a huge audience, and I've seen this, people with massive followings, and no one's buying from them. Yeah, yeah. So low engagement. and Low yeah. engagement. They're not actually cultivating relationships. They're not yeah. – once someone follows them, that's it. It's just they just mm. keep providing the entertaining TikToks or whatever. And yeah. they're not actually bringing people into warming them up to be ready to work with them. Yeah. So I think that this is a real opportunity for everyone is to step back and have a think about where your funnel might need a bit of love mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And like you say, there's always more to do and there's always this like shiny object thing too. So like with me just recently starting a podcast, there's always something else that can be done. And then there's TikTok and then there's reels and then there's posts. But there are some kind of tried and true things that do work like emails, some people, I get the email and I open them every week and those are the people that are building a relationship with me and I'm building a relationship with them even though there's no kind of actual discussion happening. It's like really key to work on the channels that do work for you and also track that as well. I think that can make a big difference over time to make those tweaks and make a difference. Yeah, see where you can make a difference over time. Actually, can I just throw one thing in there that I think mm-hmm. might be helpful to the listeners is I actually have a metric meeting every month. Ah, where my sister meetings. I'm I love obsessed it. with meetings. <laughs> so my sister and I sit down and we look at my key stats across my business. So we look at my email open rate. We look at my Instagram engagement. We look at all of those things. And then we go in and we're like, okay, so let's have a look at my emails for the month. What had the highest open rate? She's, oh, this one did really well. This one kind of flopped. Which one had the highest click-through rate? And it's always, we have these big ahas by actually stepping back and looking at the data. Yeah. Uh, we had one yesterday and one of the things that we were looking at was my Instagram. And she's like, you always get the most engagement on your dancing reels. But I wouldn't have ever known that. You're just so busy in the process of content creation that you're not stepping yeah. back and saying, what is working? What emails are my audience opening? What do people want help with? So I really think that can be really helpful too as you are growing is to actually look at the quantitative metric and work out what is working and why. Yeah, and I think that's funny because we tend to do what we like and we tend to do what we like to consume as well and that might not necessarily be what our clients like. And it's funny you say that because I shared a reel like a while ago and it was like little bits around my home and it was me like getting ready for a work day and I did this random clean my sink with this powdered cleaner and And I had someone at an event mention to me, I love that reel you shared. And I was like, oh, really? Like, I was actually so embarrassed about that reel. Like, I almost deleted it like so many times because I was like, (laughs) no one wants to see me fucking cleaning my sink. And I think for you as well, like, you always say, I feel so awkward doing these or like, Mm -hmm. Shared ones of like your husband recording you or whatever, and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? So that's funny that they resonate with your audience, and I think probably a lot of people can see that, but still see that you're putting yourself out there and appreciate that. That's how people get to know you and like you, and yeah, see a little yeah. bit of a side of you. No one wants to be all like professional all the time and buy from people that are stuffy and boring and all of those things too. So I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's humanizing the brand. Mm. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. And so you mentioned before as well, like about not making a profit. And this was something you discussed at your book launch as well, that at the moment you're reinvesting into your business. So can you talk a little bit about when it's okay to not make a profit and why you might be going through a phase like that? Yeah, I think this is a bit contrary to, there's a really well-known profit book out there. And my thinking is a bit different to that because some people think you have to be making a profit all the time. Mm. And I've worked in a lot of organizations that go through periods of reinvestment with an intention to create more to grow. growth in the long term. A lot of the big companies that I work for, we used to have a three to five year payback on some of our investments, which meant yeah, that we were happy long to time. lose money for yeah. five years before something started yeah. making money. So the key thing that I teach about is it's like whatever you're doing, do it with consciousness. If you get to the end of the month intention, and you're like, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you get to the end of the month and you're like, oh my gosh, I lost money again, you're not doing that with intention. But if you're going, do you know what? Christmas is always a slow time for me. I'm going to take mm. some downtime, have it with my family, and my business might not make a profit over that four to eight mm. week period. Yeah. But that's okay because I always have a really strong February. Like looking at my history, I'm going to go right out there and go big in February. So it's okay mm. if I'm not making as much profit or any profit during that period of time. Yeah. I just want people to do it with a plan and do it with intention. And you'll also know I went through a period where I was really heavily reinvesting back in my business. And now yeah. I'm going through a stage where I'm like, bring it on. Like I'm really mm. ready to. I've made a couple of decisions to cut back some areas in my business with the plan of I'm really ready to start to mm. just enjoy some of the profit and the cream yeah. off the top for a while. Yeah. yeah. I love that because business is all ebbs and flows. And for me, January is very quiet. And I am um, very early on in my business made as a decision to take January's off. And I think a lot of it comes back to working on yourself and being okay to be like, you don't always need to be on all the time. You don't always need to be doing. And those periods of rest and relaxation actually yeah. help you be better when you come back. They help you refocus and get some of that inspiration back so that you are rearing to go when you're ready to again and when you need to again, and then you can help yourself move to the next level. And I think as well, if you're having those regular meetings and those regular, you on top of your profit, it enables you financially to have some money set aside so that if you have a quiet month, it's okay. Like it's not the end of the world. So you can just enjoy that and not be hard on yourself. That's a great place to get to, I think, in business. And I think they, there's a stat that like most businesses fail within the first three years. It's not easy to get to this place. And yeah, it takes a bit of time. It takes a bit of work and it takes a bit of, I think, a lot of mindset work. This is one thing that I like that you share the pragmatic informational kind of side, like the actual steps that you should be taking. But there's a little bit of woo thrown in there. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. It's been an interesting journey for me as a coach trying to figure out what I'm all about. Mm -hmm. I can't not talk about mindset because yep. mindset underpins everything you do. Yeah. Even at the start of this call, like you're like, I'm not good at numbers. And yeah. that becomes a story, right? That you yeah. are like, numbers. I'm not good at numbers. I know for me, mine is I'm not good at creative stuff. It's That's my thing that I say all the time. I'm not good at creative stuff. And of course, the more and more that I say that, guess what? I'm not yeah. really good at creative stuff. Yeah. Um, but also me, you my... just wrote a book. So there must be some inkling <laughs> of creativity. I know you had a had help with the writing side. You've got things to say and you've got things to express. It's just teasing them out a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And I actually love writing. Like writing is something that I am quite good at. But I guess the thing, the point that I'm trying to make is that you can't have a long-term successful business without doing mindset work because your mindset is the stories you're telling yourself. And when you have a crappy day, week, month, 
year, you can either spiral and say, it's all a disaster. I'm a loser. I'm going to go get a job. Or you can say, no, everything's going to work out okay. And that's what this work has enabled me to do throughout the years is that I've got that faith and trust in myself and in my success. And so during the challenging times, I'm not freaking out and shutting up shop. I know that everything's going to work out okay for me. And I think that this is why I have to teach about this work if I'm teaching people how to build a profitable business is that it's not like mindset or finance. It's like the two have to work together for you to create long-term success. Yeah, that's why I'm really passionate about that topic. Yeah. And I also, it's funny, there is like an undercurrent of like very heavily spiritual side. I don't align, you know, so much that side. I definitely think like you need to have an element of both. And yeah, you can't just work on your mindset and automatically be a millionaire. You have to do the work too. You have to like upskill. You have to learn. You have to put in time and effort over time. But those stories that you're telling yourself really can hinder your progress if you're not tackling them and working on them. Okay, so what do you do in your day-to-day life to work through those stories and identify them and move past them? I think the first thing, and to be clear, this money mindset, I can't just give you something that you can go off. It's like SEO. If I was yeah. like, what's the hack to SEO? You'd be yeah, like, yeah. Um, it's a lot more complicated than just yeah. On the face of it, look, one of the big tips that I've got is to identify the story that you Mm. are telling yourself or that you're hearing or that you're saying. So for example, let's just say that I had a slow month. Do I go, oh, it's because no one's buying right now. The economy is crap. People don't like me. People don't want to learn about money. Like where does my head start to go? And then I get to catch that and go, why am I thinking like that? Is that true? Are people making money right now? Mm. Is the world really in a dire recession? I get to check in on what is going on in my head. And then I get to say, is this a story that I want to want to keep working with or do I want to reprogram that thought and think about Mm. it differently? When you were mentioning about profit before, I just want to say, and again, there's no one hack, there's no one way, but what are some of the methods that you use in your business to try and get more profit? Yeah. So I think, again, awareness is probably a great first Mm. space. The two ways that you can grow your profit is you can increase your sales or you can decrease your expenses. Cut your expenses. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, if I am looking at a period of time saying, I want to grow my profit ability. I look at my expenses in detail and really lean in and check in what what is the opportunity for me? What do I want to do? Are there decisions that I can make in that space? Mm-hmm. And conversely, when it comes to sales, like what am I proactively doing to drive more sales? Do mm-hmm. I need to create a new offer? Do I need to spend more time building that know, like, and trust with my audience? What do I need to be doing to make more sales in my business at this period of time? Mm-hmm. And it really is as simple and as, as hard as that. Yeah, yeah. And I think like how we've talked about, we do what we like and we do what we feel. One thing I'm really learning in my business is that it comes down to like discipline and consistency with so much stuff. It's You can have a business and follow your bliss and do what you like, but there are things in your business that being a business owner require, whether you like it or not. And one of them, like you say, looking at your profit, but also I think like being consistent on social media, sending out those EDMs, like making a pledge to yourself that you will show up and do those things. Because if you don't, what is your business going to look like in three months, then you start scrambling again and being like, okay, I don't have the work right now. And putting out these offers that might not be aligned with your values or your core, why you're in business, like really 
reducing that reactive piece and starting to think a little bit more long-term yeah and showing up for yourself and your business I'm really learning that lesson over and over again and it's there's a couple of things in that so firstly it's not sexy like a lot of real business growth like sitting down and having a look at your monthly reports it's not Mm. the sexy part of business like obviously being on TikTok well let's do a dance Mm. that looks like fun but it's like there is a lot of power in discipline and in consistency Mm. and with your audience again I made a commitment to my audience that I would deliver my podcast every week Mm -hmm. and there's plenty of weeks I still haven't actually recorded my one for next week yet there's plenty of (laughs) weeks where I'm not 100% well or things are going on I'm like oh my gosh I said I want to do this and of course you can miss a week of your podcast the world's not going to crumble but for me there's so much power in I love my audience to know that Claire said she'll deliver a podcast and every week Mm. a podcast episode will be delivered fast and Um, how long have you been doing that for so I'm up to 211 episodes now oh wow yeah, and I can't think of a time where I've missed a week. Yeah, so that's over since I, since I launched it. Four years? Yeah. That's huge. That's very consistent. Um, and with my emails, again, like every week I email my mm. list. And mm-hmm. some weeks I'm like, oh, I don't have the time for these. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I really want them to build that trust with me. And that's ultimately how you develop relationships Mm -hmm. is by being consistent. Yeah. And the flip side of that is as well, you don't need to bust your butt and beat yourself up if you miss a day of posting or a week of getting your newsletter out. But I do think that the people that I see them pop up in my inbox every three months and I'm like, what what are you even? Who are you again? Yeah. yeah, That's right. As compared to the people that you're like, oh, they're always there. They're always front of mind. You're seeing them regularly popping up. They're the first people. And I say this, I refer people to other people. And if someone says to me, hey, Claire, who's who's a great web developer that I can work with, I instantly think of the people that I see all the mm-hmm. time. I think mm-hmm. of the people that's emails pop up in my inbox all the time. Yeah. The people that kind of disappear off the face of the planet, I'm like, I don't even know if they're in business anymore. Yeah. It also has that wider knock-on effect to people that are referring to you as well. Yeah. That's a really good point. And do you implement anything in your life to help with that, like any batching or do you sit down and record like four podcasts in a day and do you outsource and what, what kind of things like that do you implement? This is a bit I of would topic love here, to pretend. I love it. I would love to pretend that I am that disciplined, but I have to admit yeah. I am. A lot of it is last minute. Like yeah. you'll be getting, I'm punching the email out like right before it goes out <laughs> or the podcast, like I said, my Tuesday one isn't recorded. I have gone through periods of batching and I have yeah. to admit, I love it when mm. you have your social content planned out for a month, when you've got mm-hmm. your uh, podcast episodes, it's so much better. Business runs so much better that way. If you're listening, please do that. Yeah. But I have to admit <laughs> for me, it's something that I inconsistently do. And a lot of the time I'm posting at the last minute, I'm creating content at the last minute and it's not the most effective way to run a business. It's stressful. It's stressful Yeah, it can be stressful. But one thing I've found in my business is that when I do it like that, it tends to be, I think it tends to resonate more and it tends to hit home a little bit more with the audience because it's like timely. It's stuff I'm going through. It's like something that just happened in my business with a client that went through an issue and it's like I've got really actionable, valuable insights to share about that thing. This is something I'm very interested in and I've talked with previous guests about it too like it's there's pros and cons to doing both and I think where I want to get to is that I have a base level of scheduled content that is on like on repeat so it's basically a queue and once I reach the top of the queue it goes back to the top of the queue and that's something I'm working on this year for next year so I'll just start this year's content again because a lot of what I teach is strategy and tips that don't necessarily change so much I don't really share like the how-to of the tech side and 
And then from there, I can show up a little bit more like on an as hoc or as I feel it vibe and yeah, be a bit more reactive as well. So I have those two sides of the coin. So I'm hitting that consistency piece because that for me is not a big part of how I operate. My brain tends to get a little bit bored over time of doing the same thing. So yeah, I find it hard to keep myself consistent in that way, but there's ways around it. I'm getting there. That's it. Exactly. Okay. So I just want to go through three questions that I ask every guest. And I think some of these are going to be quite interesting for you because you do a lot of stuff online. Yeah. You do a lot of money stuff and talk about your money story and stuff. So I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. But um, how do you feel being a woman in business has influenced your journey? Oh, what a great question. (laughs) It's funny because I definitely think a lot of the work that I've had to do has been around my self-confidence and my self-worth. Mm-hmm. And again, coming back to mindset, like maybe this is a big generalization, but I sometimes men can be a lot more confident or believing mm-hmm. in their abilities mm-hmm. naturally. So for me, I've had to do a lot of work around my own confidence and self-worth on the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely feel that I, yeah, I'm getting there. That's good. Can you share a little bit about, like you said, identifying the stories for the money side, but like what kind of stuff do you do to work on the confidence if this isn't too personal? On my confidence? Yeah. Yeah. And yourself. Yeah. So part of it has been just showing up even when I don't want to. Yeah. I, I used to cry every time I filmed an Instagram story. Mm. I'd be so anxious. I'd look at myself. Yeah. I'm like, I look so fake, so awkward. And I'd be like, no, you're doing this. Push through the discomfort. The second thing is, I guess, just like learning to just love myself, basically. Mm -hmm. And I know that even when it comes to your body and things like that, like being able to say, yeah, okay, I'm not the same size and shape that I was Mm -hmm. before my kids, but I still look great. And there's a thing called mirror work, which is where you look at yourself in the mirror and start to appreciate things about yourself. Mm. Again, that felt really awkward to me when I first started doing it. And I'm like, this Mm. is so fake. I don't like anything about myself was what I thought the first time I did it. And then the more you do it, the more you get comfortable with it. And also just listening to the voices in your head. I used to pick out if one person said something negative, that's all I'd focus on. And it'd be like that one comment that you just so focused in on. And now I'm like, Mm. someone said to me the other day, they're like, do you get like a lot of people having a go and I'm like no I don't really I just focus on all the good stuff mm. so I'm like learning to be a bit more selective about rather yeah, than look at one negative in. comment you mm. go look at all the other beautiful supportive people who are saying yes. really nice things and focus yeah. in on that so yeah. I think it's also like choosing your thoughts and also That's picking so the people around you because yeah. I think that when I was in high school, I was bullied pretty much by like my best friends who mm. are so toxic. Like I think about mm. it now and I'm like, no wonder I felt crap about myself. I was yeah. just hearing negative, nasty things all oh. the time. Yeah. And when you surround yourself with beautiful, positive, uplifting people, that's mm. who you become. You become the people yeah. you're around. So really consciously choosing your people. Yeah. I love all of that. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. The first thing you said just made me think of a quote that I heard recently. I can't even attribute who this is to, but that thing of do it scared because you do it and then you reinforce yourself that you can do it. And then you get a little bit better at it because you learn what worked and what didn't work or what felt weird, but what what feels more comfortable to you. And you go down this path of learning how to do it in a way that suits you. And once you get to that place, you go, oh, look at me, like I'm doing it. And you build the confidence. So it's such a cycle of you do this next thing and you're scared about it, but then you can do it. And then you reinforce to yourself that you're good at learning things. And yeah, I love that stepping stone of each stage. You get something more out of it and you get better at it. And you shared that previously about 
the social media stuff. And I think that, yeah, anyone coming to you now would not see that. So I think it's really critical to share that kind of vulnerable side and where you've come from, because a lot of people are starting out. And I think it's really nice to hear that not everyone is born like being a dancing social media superstar. They've definitely been a work in progress. (laughs) All right. And what's one thing you've done to influence your money story? So we have talked a little bit about this, but I mean, the, the best investment I ever made was in my first course where I first learned about money mindset. Since then, I've invested well over $100,000, maybe a couple of hundred thousand dollars into working with amazing coaches and mentors in reading books. I've done so many courses on money mindset and I continue Mm. to because that ultimately is what it all comes back to, your belief framework, what you're believing, Mm -hmm. what you're choosing and how you are shaping your life based on your thoughts, beliefs. So that would be the big thing that I would say if this is new concept to you invest the time the money and really start to learn it because it will once you start to master your money mindset your life will start to change and that investment piece I think when you're just starting out or if you're not making a huge amount in your business like you're undercharging you're over delivering you're stressed you're burned out you might not necessarily have that money there to invest in something but it's so funny when you start making those investments and then you look back and you go what the fuck was I thinking like not doing it like I can't imagine what would have happened if I had continued on that path and not decided I'm worth the investment the learning is worth investing in because then you get to a place where you're like that investment of two thousand dollars or in a course or whatever it is is like it's nothing now it's like a secondary decision like a split second decision you're like yep I resonate with that person I love what they teach it's going to add something to my business like there, there hasn't been one thing in my three years of business that I've decided to invest in, like regardless of what the number was that I've gone, oh shit, like I shouldn't have spent that money. I wish I had that money back. I've gone, no, even if I've taken one really positive piece of information that's changed the way I do something or added to my life or added to my confidence, it's always been worth it. Yeah. Okay. Love that. And I know you don't use WordPress. I think you use Kajabi, don't you? you use have, both. So yeah, my core okay. website is WordPress and yep. my portal like where people your purchase courses. my courses and things is Kajabi. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what would be your number one website tip, which I guess could apply to either? A big mistake that I see people make is that things aren't clear. Mm. So I work with, whenever I work with a new client, I go and suss out their website. I'm like, I don't even know where to, you've got to tell people, you've got to assume that yeah. people are like, not dumb, but you've got to yeah. assume that they need guidance because yep. I am often clicking around. I'm like, I don't even know, like even with drop downs and things like that, someone might yeah. say work with me and you go click the drop down. I'm like, I don't know if I want a course or one-on-one. What? Like, I think that you have to continually keep revisiting your website with Mm. fresh eyes and saying, is this easy to interact with? Is it clear how people can work with me? Is it clear how people can get in touch with me? I've noticed this phase at the moment where people don't have a contact page. Yeah. Have you noticed that? And I'm like, yeah. I want to get in touch with you and I don't want to go and buy that thing. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. There is no way I can get in touch with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that you just need to make it easy for people to interact with your webs mm-hmm. and to buy from you, get in touch with you. And I think that thing of contact it's meet people where they are different people like to interact with you in different ways one person might like to dm you on instagram one person might like to email you one person might like to call it fill out a contact form like you need to have the options available because if someone comes and they don't have the option that that you like they just won't come back 
and that's it you've lost them and you'd never know how many of those people you've lost and that's the sad thing like you can't really do anything to get them back and I think yeah if you choose to have a platform you need to do it at its best practice and one thing that really shits me is if I order something or I have a question about a product yeah and they don't have a contact form and so I go I'll go DM them on Instagram and they just never respond to me if it's like Mm. a product-based business or whatever and Mm. I'm like if you're making money you need to employ someone to be there for customer service or to Mm. answer the things yeah that's a really interesting um there is a big movement i think in a lot of industries of being really hands-off no i don't take meetings no i don't take phone calls no you can't contact me all the answers are on the website but some people do require a little bit of hand holding and i think personally sometimes it's just easier to have a phone call than to have 10 emails back and forth yeah i think that's interesting in this industry at the moment that yeah that whole thing of no meetings like sometimes you just need to have a chat it's just a lot easier i agree okay awesome thank you this has been a really informative chat. I've really enjoyed talking to you. So can you just give us a rundown of where can people find you and learn more about you? Yeah, my website is Claire Wood, C-L-A-R-E, Wood, W-O-O-D, probably don't need to spell that, dot com. Okay. And I'm over on Instagram at Claire underscore Wood underscore coach. And just remember, Claire's got no I, C-L-A-R-E. You know, there's a, of ways that I can help people. I've got my book, which is called Intentional Profit. I've got my podcast, which is called The Clarewood Podcast. And I have the Profit Academy, which is my end-to-end academy to help people to grow their profits. So mm. my first course is called Foundations, which is where I teach you all about the accounting stuff we spoke about before, profit and loss, money meetings, cash flow forecasting. And the feedback I get is that I do it in a really clear, easy to mm. understand way. That's one of my courses. And my next course is called Accelerator. And Accelerator is all about mindset. And I am very soon launching my mastermind, which is called the Profit Master. So it's basically a number of different ways that people can work with me. All the information is on my website. Awesome. Thank you. And I've taken one of your short courses in the past and it was really awesome. So definitely go check that out if that's of interest, which it should be for all business owners. All right. Thank you so much, Claire. And I will see you on Instagram. Thanks, Nikki. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you love what I do here, you can connect with me on Instagram at Sealing Digital or at Women Wealth WordPress. I'm always up for a chat and I'm a complete open book. So feel free to email me with any questions or check out my website, womenwealthwordpress.com. Until next time, aim big.